Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Joining us in just a moment, I know he's calling, I believe, from California, where we had to get him up early in the morning, is Gary Wexler, no relation. And by the way, even if he was related, he wouldn't really be related because Wexler is my married name. But look, he could be related by marriage, but I don't think so. And I don't know if you want to sit in on an entire exposition of Jewish geography to find out. But as far as I know, our next guest, Gary Wexler, is not related to me, Lisa Wexler. Hello and welcome back to the show. Gary wrote a story, an essay, that was published in the Jewish Journal called The Inside Story of How Palestinians Took Over the World. He was recently honored by the National Library of Israel with the creation of the Gary Wexler Archive, a 20-year history of Jewish life told through the advertising campaigns that he created for Jewish organizations in the United States, Canada, and Israel. And he also writes a story in his own biography, about how he feels that ageism prematurely tried to curtail his career, but was not successful in that he developed another career in teaching and then connecting with the people that he teaches of students at the Annenberg School of Communications out West, which is one of the most prestigious, I think it's at USC, one of the most prestigious schools of communications in the country. So he's having a great time. He's having a great time teaching and learning and exposing and doing what he does. And uh, he created award-winning campaigns for clients ranging from Apple to Coca-Cola. And then in his second career, that was his first career, in his second career, he was a nonprofit marketer whose clients raised from the foundations of Steven Spielberg to Ford. Uh, And it was during a conversation in Israel that he was illuminated by a man that he met with who had a very, very specific, concerted campaign of his own in order to change the thinking of Americans when it came to the sympathies of Americans with Israelis versus Palestinians. And in this wake of the astonishing amount of anti-Semitism and unrest at college campuses, where a lot of Americans have been stunned to read polls that show that an overwhelming majority of young Americans see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict completely differently than older Americans with what many of us believe is an astonishing ignorance 
Uh, Gary Wexler in the Jewish Journal exposed what he thought were the very specific origins of this, and I really wanted to get him on the show to talk about it. Gary Wexler, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. But we are no relation, am I right? Am I right? Are we not related to each other? Who knows, Lisa? Maybe we'll find out we are. Maybe we are. Maybe we are. But if we are, it's through my husband, Bill, not me. But that's okay. I'm, you know, I should be related to Bill by now. We're married 41 years. But um, anyway, those Wexlers originally immigrated to Fall River, Massachusetts, if that's familiar to your group. And they settled around Brookline and in Lemonster and all these places in Massachusetts. Well, as far as I know, I have no relatives in Fall River. So, uh, but it's where they came from, not where they settled. That's true. Well, they all came from. I think actually the Wexes, is it possible came from Romania? I think so. Something like that. Some place in Eastern Europe. My family, Europe. my yeah. family came from Ukraine. Ukraine. Okay. That's why I said Gary Wexler, no relation, but Gary Wexler nonetheless. Uh, Gary, I want to thank you for publishing what you did in the Jewish Journal. It was eye popping. I think it's fair to say many, many people have now read it, but our audience is unfamiliar with it. So could you explain what happened to you, that fateful conversation in Israel? What was it, 2015? When was it? No, it was actually 2005. Okay, 2005. All right. Yeah, generation it took. Let's hear. Okay. So I owned a company at the time called Passion Marketing, which was a company for nonprofit uh, organizations, uh, teaching them how to be able to communicate their issues and their causes and being hired by them for branding and other kinds of subjects. So I had been hired by the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation at the time was funding um, in Israel inside what's called the Green Line, which meant within Israeli um, territory proper, not the West Bank, um, not uh, outside of, uh, of what was Israel proper itself. And they were funding both Jewish and Arab organizations. And the funding, the purpose of it was to build Israel's civil society. So they wanted to build a marketing institute for their grantees, and they hired me uh, to come to Israel to try to figure out how that could best be done. And they put me in partnership with a wonderful woman, an Israeli named Deborah London, who till this day were very good friends. And Deborah is now heading up fundraising for Kibbutz Be'eri, which was one of the main kibbutzim that was destroyed on October 7th. Anyway, Deborah and I decided that we were going to go out and interview each of the grantees so that we could get information. And also, I knew because of the work that I was doing that with nonprofits different from products and services, you had to get into the soul of the organizations, the soul of the society to be able to understand what really needed to be done and to find the really deep ideas and messages. So when we went out to the Jewish organizations, and this was during the time of the Oslo Peace Accords, um, the Jewish organizations were almost like giddy with hope and uh, possibility about what could be happening um, in Israel and what could be happening between the Jews and the Arabs. And they answered the questions. When I went to the Arab organizations, it was a completely different conversation. They weren't talking about hope or possibilities or economic possibilities. They were talking about a state. They were talking about their dignity. And uh, one of the women even said, 
said to me, we don't believe in coexistence. There is no such thing as coexistence here when we are now the tenants and the Jews are the landlords. And so the atmosphere was completely different. But when I went deeper with the first organization and started to ask even deeper questions, the person slammed on the brakes and said to me, when you go to Haifa, you'll be meeting with an organization called ETJA, an organization for civil society among the Arab population in Israel. You'll meet a man named Amir Mahul. You ask him these questions. And I thought, okay, fair enough. I go to the second Arab organization, the same slam on the brakes, the same answer, the same turn to Amir Mahul. Every single Arab organization I went to would slam on the brakes with the same answer. So when I finally got to Haifa to Amir Mahul's office, he walks out and he says to me, so you're the Gary Wexler who keeps asking all these questions. And he ticked off every single question I had asked with the name of every single person, and he didn't even have notes. And I thought, okay, this guy is kind of extraordinary. Then he says to me, so let me give you your answers. And he says, you, Gary Wexler, was at Los Angeles City College where you organized for Israel on the campus and you were editor of the student newspaper. He said, we will be organizing on campuses better than you ever have. He said, you, Gary Wexler, spent five summers working on Kibbutz Ayala Tashachar. He said, we will have volunteers working in our towns, villages, and refugee camps, um, uh, college students, more than you ever have. He said, you own a company called Passion Marketing, and a lot of your clients are Jewish organizations that you build their images. We will build the image of our organizations better than you ever did. And he ticked off a lot of my clients. Then he said to me, you know how we're going to pay for this? Not by taking money from your, uh, your, your liberal Jewish organizations um, as we do now. We won't be taking a, a penny from the Jews. We're going to take it, he said, from... Uh, Arab organizations from the European Union, and he went on and on. And then he leans over me and he says, so what does Gary Wexler think of this? And I said to him, I'm here on behalf of the Ford Foundation to get information. And then he leaned in further and he kept asking the question and asking the question. So finally, I said to him, you know, this is really uncomfortable and threatening and I'm going to leave. And the next morning, I get a call from the Ford Foundation, and they say, Amir Mahul called us. He said, unfortunately, he said, you smoothed out all the Zionist propaganda, and it made him really uncomfortable. Oh I said, God. absolutely not true. Um, and they kept pressing me. I said, call Deborah London. She was there. Um, anyway, we eventually didn't continue with Ford. They ended up hiring other people to finish the job. Wow. But over, over the years, as I started to see things develop when I started to see apartheid leak on the campus, when I started to see um, what was called the Mohammed al-Dura um, story during the Second Intifada, this Arab child who was shot and killed in Gaza, but eventually it w they could not prove it was the Israelis. When I saw the sailing of the Turkish ship, the Mavi Mamara, towards Haifa with all of the people trying to break the blockade of Gaza, I knew that this was being done for publicity. And when I started to see the organizing on the campus, I realized I was seeing what Amir Mahul had laid out to me, and that this was a plan and an organized plan that had been put into play many, many years before. Um, 
And I realized how deep this plan was and how it had been unveiled to me. So that's basically the story. It's quite a story, Gary Wexler. It's quite a story. Yeah. And and when that happened, uh, I bet, well, first of all, you must have been stunned. And as you're watching all of this go on, uh, do you feel that um, that this campaign is full of propaganda and untruths? Or do you feel that it is, I mean, you're in PR your whole life. Do you feel it's a legitimate expression of these people's point of view? How do you feel about this campaign? I feel, first of all, that it's very, very smart. Um, these people are very intelligent, very strategic, very creative in what they have done. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things, I mean, people fight for themselves for their legitimacy, for what they believe. And there are certain things that are absolutely not true in our sinister beliefs um, that are going on. And I think just like Amir Mahul really made me feel he was threatening me and uncomfortable that much of this campaign is a very threatening campaign. Look, at here's the thing. What goes on in the Middle East is very complicated and very nuanced. It cannot be understood in the way that it's explained today so black and white, where it's like, this is colonialism, this is apartheid, this is genocide. These are all these simple terms thrown at all of this to be able to basically say to people, it's either good or it's bad. And it's much more nuanced when you look at this to be able to understand what's going on. And then I, you know, and I think there's certain fallacies that also go on. The, um, the, the way that this, the era propaganda machine has captured people of color between saying oppressed and oppressed. See, we're all the same oppressed people, and the Jews are the oppressors of everybody. Um, that is something that I can reject outright, because, as, again, as I say, this is much more nuanced. I can make an argument um, about Zionism and about the Jews, how it does represent the oppressed people in many ways. Um, so, uh, you know, how this can be spun as I can tell you, as somebody who's in communication, mm-hmm. um, it depends on who the spinner is mm-hmm. and, and how they do this. Look, at October 7th turn, changed everything. Um, I was much more liberal before this. I'm looking at this massacre, this inhuman, absolutely animalistic massacre, and uh, understanding how big the threat is and how the threat continues. When Hamas continues to say this was just the beginning, we want to kill every single Jew. And they're not saying they want to kill Israelis. They nope. keep saying it's the Jews, which makes all of us Israeli, Israeli-American Jews all over the world much more bound together now because we really see how much the world sees us as the Jews and as the oppressors and looks at all this and how they have boxed Zionism um, and termed it so that it's looked as something really evil as opposed to something positive. You know, Gary Wexler, I saw this morning one of the news stories is that the FBI said that there were about 1,800 credible, some not as credible as others, threats of terrorism against this country since October 7th. And uh, they're not exactly saying where a lot of the origins are. They're not going into it. But 
and again, some more credible than others, but it has unleashed a real danger to America as well, because a lot of these people who have sentiments against Jews, if you really peel back the onion, they have sentiments against Western thought, Western freedom of thought, and even in some cases, Christianity as well. I have read this too, and I've heard these discussions, and this is where I get back to saying this is not a simple black and white situation where you can where you can where you can apply soundbite terminology for people to understand it, um, and this goes very 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 deep. Um, look at you know the whole thing of where students are chanting from the river to the sea. Yes. I've also read all of the articles where they don't even know what river and what sea they're talking about. They think they're talking about the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it's so ridiculous. it's you know it's it's it, they've they're masters at this spin and at this situation. And you know one of the things I've learned from being involved in the Middle East and everything that you can't look at any political situation or any kind of worldwide tension and say I understand it simply because this kind of terminology applying to it has been given to me. You have got to go deep to be able to understand what's really happening here. Um, Is there a legitimacy? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. No, I was going to say so, Gary Wexler. I want to get back to the point where after the Oslo Accords, where you felt that. The Israelis were giddy with anticipation of trying to create a more equitable society within Israel, because that's what that was about, and the Arabs who would have none of it because they were still feeling very much like the aggrieved party. Um, With that in mind, and with all these calls for the Palestinian Authority to now govern Gaza, if, if in fact that's realistic, and this you know, another UN resolution pending with humanitarian aid, with all of this pressure, frankly, on Israel to make peace with an institution that doesn't exist. Are you fundamentally pessimistic about the possibility of Israel ever being able to live in peace next to its neighbors? No. Let me tell you why, okay? And I'm going to speak about this from the, the perspective of the Jewish people. One of the things that Israel has proven is how creative the Jewish people can be as a people. Look, when you see a lot of the innovation, historical innovation, present innovation in the world, very often you can see Jewish authorship behind it. When you look and see what Israel has accomplished in technology, in fashion, in food, in 
in medicine, in so many areas, when you look and you see what Israel has accomplished by the recreation of an ancient language into a modern language, which nobody has done, you begin to realize there is a creative spirit. And I believe this creative spirit, because of politics, hasn't ever been applied yet towards the conflict of what's been uh, between the Jews and the Palestinians. It's this creative spirit, this creative gene that has to be able to be applied towards this situation to be able to start finding solutions. And the present government hasn't done that. And many past governments haven't stepped up to the plate to be able to do that and figure this out through a creative process how this can be brought about. The situation's untenable. Neither the Jews nor the Palestinians are going away. Um, well, but that's, Palestine- but that's a reality that you and I acknowledge. How do you speak to terrorists and get them out of the way when they will not acknowledge that? I wish I could say to you I had a simple solution to this. There isn't one, I don't right, know. Gary? There, there isn't one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. People have got to come together to start figuring this out and looking at this um, and being able, obviously, to go deeper than, than they've gone. Look, at to give up the hope of that there can eventually be peace, that can't happen. Look, at, for the last 15 years, being in Israel a lot, people would say to me, Israelis, we can manage the conflict. It is, it is being managed. It flares up every now and then, but it can be managed. Well, October 7th proved it can't be managed. There's going to have to be a solution found to this. And the same way they figured out how to create a country, a language, and all these other extraordinary things, they're going to have to begin to tackle this as well. Well, I appreciate your optimism and your hope. I'm, you know, it's very interesting. But after reading your piece in the Jewish Journal, we're chatting with Gary Wexler. I am not as optimistic, frankly, because... I see an intransigence. I see an insistence on this piece of land belongs to me and you can't live here. And maybe that's just a lot of media and press. But since you met with those people and you experienced that yourself, it just seems to me to be a little bit more depressing, a little bit more pessimistic, even though I do believe what you're talking about, about creativity. And obviously we all live on hope. But I I don't know. I, I don't know. So here's the other thing that I want to look at. Israel, with all of its problems, is an extraordinary place. It's a great place. Yes, it, it is. is also guaranteeing the survival and the meaning of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So we have no choice but to be able to work with that hope and to try to work towards this solution. And I don't even want to say to double down, to triple down, quadruple down, to a hundred down, a thousand down, to try to be able to start to figure this out in some way um, and be able to see what the path can be towards some sort of solution between people. Right now, tomorrow, do I see peace happening? Absolutely not. Is there trust on either side to make peace happen at this point? Absolutely not. But can there be eventually? We have to work towards it. I have to ask you, Gary Wexler, I have a um, a um, an email from a listener. They want to know, this woman wants to know, have you ever heard of something called ISCAP, the Institute for the Study of Global Anti-Semitism and Policy? This woman no, knows them. Okay. She just wanted to know what you thought of them. She, she wanted to know if you've ever heard of them. Okay. 
So, um, Gary Wexler, I, you know what I wanted to say to you? First of all, I want to thank you for all of this. Um, do you believe that there's something that American Jews, because you end your column with sort of a call to a, a warning situation of American Jews saying, American Jews, you're not doing this right. You're doing this here and that there, but you don't have the smart, coordinated campaign that the Arab world now has for the hearts and minds of American young people. What should we be doing, Gary Wexler? And I'll put we into this because I am really from the shock of what's happening on college campuses. So, Lisa Wexler, let me answer this because I have two different areas to be able to attack this from. One is from the American Jewish community, and two is I was a professor at USC, an adjunct, for 11 years, and I walked out during the middle of my last semester because of the atmosphere on the campuses. You're kidding. And, no, and things that this is, this is for a whole other story, um, if you want. And I was probably the first person because they were shocked. To, they said, this is the middle of the semester, and you're one of our best professors in this department. I said, now how can I continue to be one of your best professors under these circumstances <gasps> where you have turned the power of my classroom over to these radicalized students for me to dance for them? I can't do this any longer. Um, but that's that's for another show, okay? Let me go well, back. Well, we to will have to book you for another show. I really need to okay. hear about that, but okay. Okay, so let me go back to what you were just asking me. Um, I have received since this article over 500 emails, WhatsApps, um, texts, uh, Facebook messages, LinkedIn messages from people asking me the exact same question you just asked me and pleading, saying, please, you need to get involved. These have been from major foundations to organizations, to individuals, to other communication people. We have a problem in the Jewish community in order to tackle uh, this communication to be able to fight back. And the number one problem is called collaboration. Jewish organizations, many of them, just refuse to work with one another. If we're going to win this battle and win this hill, this is not just about a collaboration between four organizations or a, or a collaboration between two. And I understand why it is so hard for these organizations to collaborate, but there's got to be some sort of loose collaboration that allows for the individuality and entrepreneurship of each organization. But there's got to be communication on this bat- communication battlefield that all these organizations find some way to move together on this battlefield to capture this hill of of anti-Zionism and anti, uh, anti-Semitism and start to turn this around. Um, and this isn't happening. There are small groups who think they can do it alone. There's individuals who think that they can do it. Not true. If we are not somehow talking to one another and somehow loosely coordinated, we're never going to be able to defeat this enemy on the communication battlefield. And do you think that the cause of Jewish people in terms of our survival and telling our story has been belied by the tremendous amount of press given to the, I think, small minority of Jews who are marching with Palestinians right now? Because that's all I ever see. And by the way, there are a lot of Jews there, too. So let me address this. This is one of the biggest successes of the opposition's campaign is that they have managed to turn a certain segment of young Jews who believe that because of 
their own belief system that they are aligning themselves with the uh, with the with, with the enemy and with the opposition here, where in fact they have been. This is this has been part of the campaign to be able to invade into the Jewish community like this themselves. A lot of these young Jews who are marching with the Palestinians are graduates of Jewish day schools, are alumni of Jewish summer camps, who are saying that they were propagandized in their day schools and summer camps, but they have been propagandized by the opposition and learned how to fall over to them there. Um, This is a major problem that we have, that we have to be looking at. Now, that is not... You know what alleviate. they used to call them, right? They used to call them useful idiots. I'm just saying. I know. I know. That is not to alleviate, though, how the Jewish world explains the complexity of the Middle East problem mm. um, and just says that the Jews have been 100% correct. There is a way, if we're going to create peace, that we have got to understand what the complexity of this issue is, what the other side's claims are, what happened there. And we've got to all start to open our eyes in some way Mm -hmm. to be able to create the compromise of peace. Absolutely. Um, So, again, this is a very nuanced, huge situation. And we used to have something called the World Jewish Congress. The Bronfman family was very involved for years. Right. Do we have anything like that anymore? I think the World Jewish Congress was folded into some other organization. Mm. Um, look, at there are many, many good organizations out there that are fighting this battle, that are doing things, but they need to start aligning themselves with one another. Um, they can't be going it alone, and they can't be going it and just saying, okay, organization number one is teamed up with organization number two and three, and see, we have a collaboration. This is, this is a very complex issue, and we need to have some sort of loose collaboration between us. All right. Well, then I guess we have to have some kind of a Congress meet. We have to have some kind of a convention, and then we have to have leaders among the convention, and we have to start organizing. We have to do that. I, you know what? Let me say something to you. And I believe in order to make that happen, that which is something that's never happened in the Jewish world, this has to be a pressure, almost like a lobby from the Jewish people upon the leadership mm. of the Jewish organizations saying we are demanding that there be some sort of collaboration going on here. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. Well, you know, I have some people that listen to the show that I know that um, they have some pull, I would say. And I'm going to play this interview for them. I'm going to send them this podcast in particular. Well, we'll see what happens if we can't get a bandwagon rolling. But Gary Wexler, you have to come on again to tell us about your experience at USC. That's a must. Okay, let me say something. I have been, I've written a little bit about it, but I have been, I was basically intimidated to speak about it because I thought, oh my God, what will I get labeled? What will happen? But now I'm willing to talk about it to anybody and to write about it. So I'd be more than happy to. Thank you. Gary Wexler, no relation. Um, I'm so pleased to talk with you today on the Lisa Wexler Show. And thank you for revealing the incident that happened to you. I think it opened up a lot of eyes. It answered some of our questions, some of the mystery around this. And um, this is an existential battle, both in Israel and for the Jewish people. So it, def- it definitely is. It definitely mm-hmm. is. It's a very, whoever thought we would see these times in our lifetime? Uh, not in America. 
I got to tell you. But it's okay. You know, I have faith in America. I have faith in the people that are in America. I have faith in my friends that are largely non-Jewish. I actually have a lot of faith in America. I don't think America is Germany of the 30s, but I'm also not stupid, and I don't walk around with my eyes closed with a blindfold on. But I do have faith in this country. I do. So, you know, the battle continues. We'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. We have to remember who was the much. David and who was the Goliath. I mean, that to me is the right, most exactly. hysterical thing here. Well, who was you know, the David and who was the Goliath? That. You're kidding okay. me, right? All right. Be- okay, right. but before we even close, I want to say a couple other things. When I say the situation is nuanced and complex, yeah. let's remember Israel pulled out of Gaza, gave them back Gaza because they knew this was not the thing to do. I had been to Gaza after the pullout. It was beautiful along the coast. Things were happening. The world community was there building and all these things. And I thought, this is incredible what can happen here. Um, their government, their people voted in Hamas. They decided that this was what they were going to become instead of becoming an, a, a country among the world community with positive attributes there. They made this decision. They made this decision to be able to say we're going to, instead of our purpose is to build a country, where our purpose is going to be to eliminate the Jews. They made this decision. And they are sitting with this decision, and the world doesn't yes. want to hold them responsible for this decision. Right, exactly. But they are responsible for this decision. Yeah. They are. Yep. Gary Wexler, have a great weekend. Have a happy, happy New Year, and you're going to come back Thank on the you. show. Okay? Okay, good. Let me know. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. Thank you. Gary Wexler on the Lisa Wexler Show. We're going to be publishing this podcast in case you missed all of it. If you're just hearing the tail end or it's a conversation that you want others to hear, we'll put it up probably by 1, 2 o'clock this afternoon. You'll be able to disseminate it. I thought it was very illuminating myself. 203-333-9422. Your comments and thoughts are welcome. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.